0: Good evening good to have you with us tonight. One reminder uh, this coming Sunday <laughs> I knew it was coming It's coming Sunday at uh, four thirty. I believe we're going to have our our potluck uh, fellowship and then night of worship immediately following the uh, uh, the potluck so my suggestion would be that uh you eat a light snack after church on Sunday morning and then come to eat a good meal on Sunday night. It's exactly afternoon. And then uh don't eat too much because then it's really hard to sing when you eat too much. But we still want you to eat a lot, but not too much. And then bring your bring your best uh dish because you know we get blessed by that and, and uh uh I know I say bring your best dish, and sometimes we see the pizzas come and the, and the fried chicken and all that. That's okay. If that's your best gift, man. Praise the Lord. We'll eat it. You know, <laughs> doesn't matter. It's not going to stay, especially that pizza. Boy, it's been if the kids. There's enough kids here. You know, the pizza's actually du- du- gone before you put it on the table. So, uh, it's whatever, whatever it is, but if you want to wow us with one of your great dishes, please do so. We get wowed all the time. So. We're excited about that. But the most important thing is that we come to fellowship with each other and then to worship the Lord together and uh, have a good time. We're going to actually have uh, the worship team from uh, Calvary Chapel Sun City that's going to come down here. I believe they have, they're bringing two groups. One's going to be with the youth and the other is going to be with us in here. So we're looking forward to a, a good time of fellowship, a good time of, of singing and praising the Lord. And then when all of that's finally done, and we we can't sing anymore or whatever, then we have dessert. Okay, so dessert right afterwards. So we we want you to stay for that and coffee and and whatever other refreshments there will be, and then we'll set up outside if the weather's good, and we'll we'll do a little uh, uh, fellowship out there. And uh, remember, Monday is a um, um, Labor Day uh, weekend or holiday, so most of you don't have to work. Uh, and if you and if you do well, we certainly will pray for you and ask God to bless you at your job, but if you don't uh, then you can stay here as long as you as you like, and we'll just rejoice in the fellowship God has given us so there's there's a lot of things that we uh, look forward to doing this weekend, but it is something that we don't want it to just pass, and then you say, oh, I didn't make it because i I don't know what." Well, there's nothing good on TV. I can tell you that right now on a Sunday evening, nothing good. And besides, if there was something, you could actually DVR it now. You know, that's that's the only time you want to really get technical in life. You know, if you have to watch something, just record it and then you can see it later. The important thing is to have the the true real real time fellowship going on here. Okay. All right. Well, listen. Let's. Uh, Let's turn to Revelation chapter eleven, and you might notice that we're not really going too far. This is what we uh, covered a little bit on last time, but we didn't cover it all. So, can you imagine you take two verses and you didn't cover it all? There's still a lot left to cover. So, we're going to do that tonight, and uh, <clears throat> it's a it's an interesting section of scripture. Let's uh, let, let me just kind of review that here. John now is is has been given a, a measuring rod and he's told to measure uh, the temple of God and uh, what we came to discover is that this temple that he's to measure is the, is the temple that is going to be raised during the tribulation period the seven years of tribulation And uh, we talked a little bit about how uh, the temples of the past were built on a certain place, on certain ground, which today is called the Temple Mount. In Israel, those who have been to Israel have been... Some of you actually have been on the Temple Mount. There was a time when we could go on. The last couple of times we've gone, we can't go. We haven't been allowed to get on the Temple Mount. But it is somewhere on that stretch of, of property that the old temples stood. And of course, in AD 70, the magnificent structure that was known as Herod's temple, not to be confused with the second temple of Solomon or anything built after that, or or actually before AD or or before Herod, uh, there was only really two. There was uh, uh, the first temple of Solomon and then there was the reconstructed temple. Herod really built a monument to himself, basically. But that was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. And so since then, the Jewish people, even though they were scattered considered that the important thing for them to do was to get back into the land, which they did, which was prophesied by the Lord. They get back into the land, and now they have this this desire. Now, I I said last week, not all of them have this desire, but, but many of them, especially the religious Jews today, have this desire to once again build the temple and to begin sacrifices again. And I made just a very quick reference that that temple... As much as we get excited about it being built, because we see that the scripture says it is going to be built, is not a temple that really is going to glorify Jesus Christ. Because you see, they want to continue to do sacrifices so that they can have their sins atoned. But Jesus already died on the cross. See, so... The only reason we get excited about the temple being built is because we know that if the temple is built, then we know that it's just a short amount of time before Jesus comes with us, the saints. Then thousands of the saints will come with Jesus and he will... Go through that eastern gate. We'll see a little bit of that today. And, and he will begin to rule and reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem. We're all excited about that. So we don't get excited about the temple being built because of the sacrifices. Because those sacrifices are wasted. Since Jesus has already died. Shed his blood. And risen again from the dead. So with that in mind, let's just go ahead and read the text one more time. As we did last week, and we're going to read it a few times while we're here tonight. And then I was given, this is John. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Now we're going to really concentrate on verse 2 tonight. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given... To the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So in our study of verses 1 and 2 last week, it was my hope to make it clear that the simplest and best explanation for these two verses is that they foretell a real Jewish temple is to be built again in the city of Jerusalem. Specifically on what is called the Temple Mount. Now, as we close our study last time, I mentioned that I would deal with the probable location of the tribulation temple as it relates to verse 2. But before we do that, I want to show you a short video. So I'm going to ask for the lights, uh, if you'll... Oh, whoa, that's that's really dark. All right. Let's see here. Oh, that's not where we're going. I don't know if... uh Let's see, Sean's on his way. Okay, there he is. It's okay, because I, I wish I could control it from here. I don't have a button to do that. Well, oh, maybe I do. Let me see. I don't want to mess it up. Then I mess it up and y'all get mad at me, so I don't want to do that. Oh, that's... Oh, oh. Just hit on the... I think if you just hit the, the... That's our little dove. Hope I don't come up with my Grand Canyon pictures. Then I'll have to explain those. It's a big file, and it's a pretty—it's just a little video. It's—it's. It's, I'll explain it to you if I can't let you see it, but it's, it's there. It really is. By the way, we're very, very, very close to Jesus. Ah, there have just seen is a virtual look at the blueprints for the future temple as designed by the temple institute in jerusalem and let me see how many have been to the temple institute those of you that have been to israel with us okay well, we've met those people. but this, this is what is on the internet today. I can tell you it's not going to look like that. I mean, it looks nice. It's modern and it's got, uh, uh, has its own room for the uh, 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 Sanhedrin. I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, I show that to you because I want you to know how close we are to the coming of Jesus Christ. This is how much they desire the building of that temple, and how do we how do we put this together with the coming of Jesus, except that in the fact that we have so much scripture given to us, even Jesus himself as we 'll see tonight, has stated that these things are going to happen, and we are if not close to, we are in the very generation that will see much of these things happen. So we are very, 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 very close to Jesus' return. And I want you to know that we need to be ready for that. The producers of the video, as I said, the temple Institute have been working for years toward the goal of rebuilding the temple. Priests are being trained. Garments have been made. The temple itself uh, has items already made like the menorah, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, along with a host of other implements and furnishings. They've all, been, they've all been constructed, or they've all been made. One of the feature rooms, as I mentioned earlier in the video, is designated for the Sanhedrin. That would be the council of 70 men. That were actively meeting in the time of Jesus, and it is considered that the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. So they want to have the Sanhedrin just as they had before. They want to have the priests, uh, the priests uh, offering the sacrifices as they did before when they had a temple. I want to come back to the very glory of the temple. And I show you this to simply encourage you that we are very, very close to Jesus' return. And because of that, we need to be ready. Now, as for the location for this future temple, now that's what we want to deal with tonight. Because this poses a very serious, a very critical global dilemma. Notice I didn't just say a Middle East dilemma. It is a global dilemma. Because eventually all eyes in the world are going to turn... As many have already to the epicenter which is Israel or to that portion of the Middle East I I said in the past that the reality is that all eyes are eventually going to be focused on Israel which is the epicenter of the world and likewise the eyes of the world would be focused on Jerusalem the very heart of Israel and ultimately the eyes of the world will be focused on the Temple Mount the heart of the city of God which has been called Mount Zion Sion. it has been called Mount Moriah for we know that that is the place where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him in the command that God had given him to sacrifice his own son which gives us that grand picture of God sending his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life it was a type of Jesus Christ coming to die and he would die on near on or near that very same place we call it calvary outside of the city walls but that was where jesus died a part of the very hill or rock that was called sion or mount zion or mount moriah it was called golgotha the place of the skull we're told in Psalm 48 verses 1 and 2, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in His holy mountain. And I want you to notice how all the references to His mountain, it belongs to Him. And it says beautiful in elevation. In the King James it says beautiful for situation. Where it is situated, where it it, it, it is as far as it's <clears throat> Geographic location, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. <clears throat> Notice, it isn't just the joy of Israel, it is the joy of all the earth. Is Mount Zion, or Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And I would encourage you tonight to read, it's a short psalm, but read all of Psalm 8, if you, uh, 48, I'm sorry. Read all of Psalm 48, because if you will, I want you to read it with some prophetic understanding. Read it from a perspective of prophecy, and you will see some things open up. I'm not going to tell you about it because we're not studying Psalm 48, but I want you to realize that if you consider what we're studying tonight, and what we've been studying in the book of Revelation, and you read Psalm 48, you begin to realize how prophetic it is. But well, I want you to jump down to verse 8 because it says, As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it. How long? Forever. That phrase in itself is letting us know that not only the city of, Israel, uh, the city of Jerusalem in Israel, but the people that are attached to that city, God's people, will have a place forever and so God is going to deal with them to bring them to that place where as Paul said in in Romans chapter 11 all Israel shall be saved but again that does not say that just because you're a Jew that you're just going to be saved because you're a Jew because Jesus came to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile and he came to the Jew first to show them how they could be saved. But it tells us in John chapter 1, He came unto His own, but His own did not receive Him. But to as many as receive Him, Jew and Gentile, but as many as receive Him, to them, gave He the right to become the children of God, to as many as believe in His name. So it is important for us, as we study the book of Revelation, to always remember, we need to believe in His name. We need to believe in the name of Jesus we need to trust in that name and trust in Him because there's something special about the name of Jesus. Well, getting back to our text, verses 1 and 2 of our text, assume that the temple has been, or I should say will be, built, has been in the prophetic perspective that God has given to John, but it's still yet to happen. Nonetheless, the temple has been built and functioning now for some time, In the perspective that God has given to John. People will worship there at the altar. And sacrifices and offerings will have been reinstated in that new temple. The 42 months itself that we read in verse 2. The 42 months that are mentioned correspond to 3.5 years or 1,260 days. Or 1,260 days. And this designates half... Of the seven years of tribulation. It designates a half of the seven years of tribulation. Now something will happen at the middle point of those seven years. And for the next 42 months, that being being the, the last half of the seven years, three and a half years, Jerusalem, including the temple, we are told, will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. They will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. And this brings us back for just a moment to Daniel chapter 9. So I want you to go back to Daniel chapter 9. And you will be going back to Daniel. So you want to kind of keep your, 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 uh, your bookmark there in Daniel. And so let's go back to verse 27. And you'll notice I've had to break down this verse uh, because it's such a long verse. So we have two slides for that. Then he shall confirm. Now the he, of course, is, is the Antichrist or the beast, as he's called also in the book of Revelation. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, the middle of the seven-year period, uh, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. The desolate, by the way, just really is describing Israel. Now think about this for a moment. Israel desires to have a place and a temple on that place. The place is already chosen. It's the Temple Mount. And they build their temple. And they will have sacrifices there. But how desolate it is. Because there's nothing to the sacrifice of animals anymore. Because Jesus has already been sacrificed. Jesus has already been uh, given as the sacrifice and so on the wing of abominations, that's an interesting phrase, the wing of abominations is actually referring to the foundation or the, uh, to some extent some people say the, the uh, you know, even the pinnacle of, of the temple. On the wing of abominations. And that and kind of reminds us, if that's the case, that Satan is still active here. If you remember when Satan tempted Jesus during his 40 days and 40 nights of fasting before he began his earthly ministry, one of the places that Satan took him was to the pinnacle of the temple. And so there he tempts the Lord he says listen jump off of this of this point and your angels will take hold of you of course the Lord responded with with the word before it was the bread uh, make turn the stones into bread you know The Lord has given the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So, Satan's back in Jerusalem in some way, you see. As I said, that he in this passage is is a world leader known as the Beast or the Antichrist in Scripture. And at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, he will enter into a covenant agreement, which in modern terms is a treaty. He enters into a treaty with Israel and will promise to enforce it. Now, if you know anything about Israel throughout its short history from May 1948 to the present time, Israel as a nation seeks one thing with its neighbors, peace. Just to be left in peace, and they would gladly, and they have, gladly opened their doors to whoever wants to come to that city, realizing that, that even Jerusalem itself is, is a city that, that caters really to three world religions. And to some extent there's peace, but it is a, a kind of a uh, very suspicious kind of peace. You know, you've got soldiers all around you, there are their weapons around. By the way, I'm not trying to scare you. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to let you know that it's safe to go over there. Man, I need to get some of you to finally get to sign up and go to this on this trip to Israel. So you can see it with your own eyes. But all they want is peace. And when you look at, you look at the, the nations around them, they also want peace. And you know how they want peace? They want to destroy Israel. Then you have peace. They want to go all throughout the world and they want to say that the only way you're going to have peace is if you will say with your mouth that Muhammad is the prophet, that, you know, that Allah is the only God and that Muhammad is his prophet. Then you'll have peace. That's why they're all over the world doing what they're doing. Israel just says, we just want peace. So it's coming to a time when there, there is going to be a peace. But as we saw at the beginning of chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, there was this person riding a white horse. Symbolic of peace, but it was a false peace. Or it will be a false peace. Well, we've come to the place now where we begin to see that and, and even the Apostle Paul, when he talks about it in, 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 in the letter of uh, in, uh, Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, where he talks about the cry of peace and safety, but sudden destruction will come. Well, this is where we're at. The beginning of the seven year period, there's, all right, you know, the, world, the tension in the world is so grand, so major, the rapture of the church will have taken place, and that probably caused a lot of, of the panic. uh will cause a lot of the panic. So, all of a sudden, there's somebody who steps up on the world stage. We don't know really where he's from, but uh, we used to say we used to think it was some some European. But I don't believe that. I honestly don't believe that anymore. Now that we realize what an influence and and what a a growth Islam has had in the last 40 years. Especially on the world stage. But we will talk about that when we get deeper into the book of Revelation. So he promises this agreement with Israel, or will promise this agreement with Israel uh, to enforce it. And I need to interject some clarification here because I mentioned the rapture. Let me just say that it will not necessarily be the rapture of the church that will bring about or begin the seven year tribulation period. The, the rapture will come at some time before it starts as we've all often uh, said and of course we teach and believe. It may come just before the tribulation period, or it may come even a year or two before the tribulation starts, but while the scriptures teach that the rapture will precede or go before the tribulation, it never says that the rapture begins the tribulation. The event that begins the tribulation is the signing of the seven-year covenant. That's what begins the tribulation. So there can be a little time between the rapture and this, this covenant, but... But it it, it could be a short time, a little longer than what we would think. But nonetheless, that's what begins the seven-year tribulation period, as we've seen it in the book of Daniel. Now, we did cover these events last week when we spoke about the abomination of desolation. And so, with the knowledge that there will be a new temple built on the Temple Mount, where could it possibly be built while the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque cover most of that property? Well, let's look again at our text in Revelation uh, 11, 1 and 2. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. Notice this. Leave out the court which is outside the temple. Don't measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, there are many people today, Jews as well as some Christians, who feel that the temple should be built on the site of the Dome of the Rock, which is supposedly the site of the Holy of Holies and of the first and second temples. If you remember your Hebrew lesson last week, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKodeshim. The Dome of the Rock itself was built actually back in in 630 A.D. by Caliph Omar Ibn Al-Khattab and completed in 691 A.D. by Umayyad Caliph Abd Al-Malik. Now the golden dome structure is built on what is supposedly the spot where Muhammad was to have ascended up into heaven. It is the third most holy site for Muslims Mecca being the first because it's the birthplace of Muhammad and then Medina being the second. Now, the problem with the Jews building their temple on this Muslim site was uh, presented to us in a Time Magazine article dated October 16, 18, um, I'm sorry, 1989, and it was titled Time for a New Temple, question mark. And, and the, the statement is this, the merest hint ...of rebuilding the temple is considered an outrage by the Prophet's followers... ...that is, the Prophet Muhammad... ...who in the words of an official at Al-Aqsa... ...and I quote, will defend the Islamic holy places to the last drop of their blood. So you see, if, if the Jews attempt to rebuild on this site... ...you would see a holy war break out for sure. It must be considered that the key to the site of this third temple... ...is found in verse 2 of our text... And John, by the way, is is told not to measure the outer court. You see that? John is told not to measure the outer court, for it has been given to the Gentiles. Now let's look for a moment at the Temple Mount itself. Alright, let's see. Can you all see? I'll read the names for you there, if you can't see them. But you all see the Golden Dome. I need my little pointer. Where's my pointer? There it is. I've got to use two things now here. All right, so that's uh, the Dome of the Rock. Everybody see that? You can you can speak. If, if, uh, the Dome of the Rock. Dome of the Rock. Now here, here's here's the interesting thing. Okay, here's the Western Wall. Uh, well, here's the Western side of the of the wall. And right here is the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall, where you notice the people praying there. They want to make sure you're, you know, because uh, you're uh, okay. Anyway, so there's that, and then and then here's the Al Aqsa Mosque. Al Aqsa Mosque. So you see how how much of that uh, Temple Mount they have kind of taken. Uh, over, actually, over the hundreds of years that uh, Islam has, has uh, had, uh, you know, this, this area. The Mugravi Gate right here, if you'll notice a little walkway, a little walkway there. Ah, okay, see the other walkway? That's, that's where we would enter when we were allowed, we would enter, whoa, we would enter through there into the, uh, into the Temple Mount itself. So it was right there where you could, over, you could see, just over, overlook the area where the men pray, and over, well actually there's a little divider there, and the women on one side, and the men on the other. Okay, so that's that little plaza there where you can go into the Wailing Wall to pray. Uh, the Mugravi Gate, uh, here's the Al-Aqsa Mosque, Al-Aqsa Mosque I should say. I put this in here, the southern steps, you all see that, southern steps? Uh, you, can, you can just see this little area right there. That was recently excavated. Those are steps that Jesus would have used. And that's a blessing when we go there. Okay, well, we'll see. Let's let's look at another uh, side. Because now here's the eastern gate, or actually the eastern wall, not the eastern gate. I'll show you that in a moment. So here's another perspective. Now, I want to go back for just a second. Because I want you to see these open areas right here, right there, and right here. Where those trees are. These are important areas when we talk about probable locations for a temple without having to mess with the temple, or I should say the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Okay? So these are two areas, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Okay, so there's there's the eastern side, and then here's uh, another angle uh, above the... um, Here's the Kidron Valley, uh, and and then here's the... um, uh, Mount of Olives, thank you. All right, so anyway, here's, here's the eastern side view. Here's the southern steps that I showed you earlier, right there. And then, if you'll notice that little thing right there, I put a little arrow. That's a little dome too. That's called the Dome of the Spirits, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Here's the eastern gate. There's the eastern gate, okay? So, uh, th- that's another significant area because uh, of what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Alright, I don't know what else. Do I have any other slides? Let's see. Yeah, there it is. That's that little Dome of the Spirits. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay, so the major criticism now is, uh, that is heard is that the Dome of the Rock sits on the site of the Holy of Holies. It sits on the site of the Kodesh HaKodeshim. It would therefore have to be destroyed in order for the Jews to build their temple. If that's the case, that it is over the Holy of Holies. Because I said last week that in in reality, they do not need all of the rooms in the temple. What they need more than anything is the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place would be the entrance into the Holy of Holies. Those two rooms making up one building, as it were... Would only need 2,700 square feet because that's all it was when they w- went in uh, to offer the sacrifice uh, for the people. So, when you think about it in those terms, nothing has to be destroyed. Now, remember, we're talking about peace between the Arabs, or more than anything, between the Muslim Arabs and the Jewish people. So, Certain historical accounts say that this building was built by the Muslims, the Dome of the Rock, to overlay the the location of the original Jewish temple or temples. And most rabbis even in Israel today associate the original temple location with that site. But there are at least two other possibilities, and that's what we want to talk about. In 1969, there was some Arab construction going on around the Dome of the Rock, and there was a, a Jewish man named Dr. Zev Yevin who happened upon this construction site, and he made some drawings from it, what he saw, of an exposed ancient wall that was near the dome. Now, since you cannot have archaeological digs up there, this was an important find. It was just a, a construction uh, project that was going on, but it opened up a wall that they could see. So he went and he and he sketched it and he drew a, drew it and then you had to imagine underneath uh, how how things because everything's built upon everything else over there in Israel so there were you know he had to imagine where where these uh, walls were and what walls they would be uh, as far as the old temple was concerned and then in the early 1970s not too many years later. A man named Dr. Asher Kaufman, who was a plasma physicist at the Rahan Institute in Jerusalem, he did some extensive research on this subject of the temple's original location. And he identified the section of the wall seen by Dr. Yavin as the eastern wall of the temple's court of the women. Now there were, there were courts, four different courts in, in the temple proper. And, and one of the, was a court of the Gentiles and another was a court of the women. So he believed that there was the eastern wall of the temple's court of the women. And based on this and many different works, Kaufman concluded that the site of the temple was at the northwest corner of the mount. Now, I'm going to go back. That's, that's going forward. Let's go back. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll do it here. Uh, he concluded that it was at the northwest corner of the mount, which would make it right where that dome of the spirits is, right in this area, right here. Now, this little dome is not as important as that big dome and that dome, okay? And by the way, you know what's interesting? This, this uh, dome of the rock was actually constructed to look very similar to what is, uh, uh, what is already, what had already been constructed as the, as the uh, shrine of the Holy Sepulchre. That building was already constructed, and they and they kind of they they wanted to build ones like it, you know. They just kind of stole the plans. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, here, here we go. Okay, right, so this is north, if you remember, and and actually back over in this area, it would be moving in this way, almost in that site of where the eastern gate is. Y'all see that? That's where Jesus is going to enter through here. Into into oh, i got to keep my eyes out there. He's going to enter right through there. That's the eastern gate, which is covered up so that Jesus can get through there. <laughs> but, hey, you think that gate's going to keep Jesus from going in? No way. Okay, so anyway, so here, here's that area. Anywhere in this area here where that temple can be built. 330 feet to the north of the dome. You, you notice where that is here. If you look at this, you can barely see the people... But it measures 330 feet from here to here. It's like a football field. So, in other words, the Muslim Dome is not built over the Holy of Holies, according to this research. Now, in fact, the area that he believes the Holy of Holies was located in, King Solomon's Temple, is now a place called the Dome of Of the spirits. There it is right there, as we said. And that's what it looks like. It looks really close, doesn't it? But it's a long way between here and here. Okay, that's that's a football field length. And uh, it's also, by the way, it's also called the Dome of the Tablets. The Dome of the Tablets. It was named by the Muslims around 600 AD and could be speaking of the location where stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, were kept in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. So that's just something to think about and to consider. So there, there I don't know what to point at anymore. Okay, so there, there it is. In this little area here and, and along this way, there could be room for that uh, temple. And you would have to say that a lot of negotiation has to go into that, doesn't it? For there to be peace for them to do that. Now, in recent years, uh, Jewish architect Tuvia Sagiv has proposed another more southerly location. Using ground-penetrating radar probes and thermal infrared scanning, along with all the known research, Sagiv came to the conclusion that the site of the temple lies between the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I gotta go back a little bit. So here's, here's the Al-Aqsa Mosque and here's the dome, and this is the southern step, so you know that we're going southerly. And so in this particular area, possible, but thinking about the gate here, uh, you know I don't know, but you know <laughs> so it's, it's beneath a clump of trees, well there's those trees right there right in that area in either of these two more recent theories, the temple could be built and coexist with the Muslim structures, uh, whether any of them like it or not, whether the Jews like it or whether the Muslims like it, there has to be a, a treaty made And somebody has to be so strong and influential that this can indeed happen. So now, this seems consistent with what we see in verse 2. And we've got to get moving forward. Where it says, but leave out the court which is outside the temple. The courts which are outside of the temple, whichever side it is. Okay. Okay. Leave out the cord which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. That's significant. Because the measuring, if you remember, was, uh, was, was to indicate that what was being measured belonged to God. But here it says he has given it to the Gentiles. So think about that for just a moment. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, (laughs) there are some critical issues to consider before we move on into the next section of this chapter. First of all, when we we once again concern ourselves with the abomination of desolation, we are dealing with a religious system of the man of sin. We are going to have to deal with a religious system of the man of sin. And somehow it will be connected to the temple of Jerusalem. Because the mass of people will accept Him as the one who comes in His own name. Now there's reference to that in the book of Daniel, but there is especially a reference by Jesus Himself that there is coming one who will come in His own name. That is not Jesus, who is the promised Messiah, to come and sit on the throne of David for a thousand years. And it was to to His own Jewish brethren that Jesus would say this in John 5, Verses 39 through uh, 43. He said, you search the scriptures. He's telling his own Jewish brethren. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The word of God testifies of Jesus Christ. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He came unto his own and his own did not receive him. I do not receive honor from men. Isn't it interesting? But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. These are strong words. Because it, it goes throughout the history of the Jewish people whom God has said have been blinded. Even their own prophets told them, You're blind. You see, but you can't see. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own, in his own name, him, him you will receive. There is the prophecy. Jesus prophesied. One will come in his own name, and they will accept him. And the sad thing is that it is going to be concerning a religious system. That does not necessarily mean that he's going to be Jewish, or at least it it doesn't mean that he, he can come and claim that he's Jewish. And again, we have to go back to the book of Daniel, which we won't do tonight. But eventually we will get there where we will have to see the reality of what this person believes or what this person proposes to believe. So now the temple in Jerusalem was divided into four courts, as I said before. One of these was the court of the Gentiles, into which Gentiles might come, but beyond which they would dare not pass under penalty of death. So as I said, if measuring uh, indicates the idea of impending claim, God's claim upon things, I, uh, Ezekiel 40, by the way, Zechariah chapter 2, and Revelation 21:15, then there is to be no portion staked out for the Gentiles. And the reason is obvious. No portion staked out because it's not measured, you see. And, and, the, and the reason is obvious. Because the holy city shall be tread underfoot by the Gentiles for 42 months. Three and a half years. And please understand that the Gentiles are not being favored by God above the Jews. Why is he giving them this court but not measuring it? He's giving this court to the Gentiles because it is going to be the Gentiles that God is going to use as an instrument to bring chastisement upon his own people. Because remember the seven years are the last seven years of a much longer period of time. Actually 490 years that God had promised that Israel would have to go through as far as suffering is concerned as a nation. Now we're not talking about the suffering that that took place on Jewish people uh, during the time of the Diaspora, which was, you know, where where they were dispersed, and in other nations and all, it was when they became a nation again. But there would be this covenant, it would be those seven years from that time that they make that covenant with this beast or Antichrist, that that seven, seven years begins of chastising his people. So the Lord is going to use them for that chastisement. I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Now, I'm going to put it on overdrive, okay? Because we've got to move on. Zechariah 14 verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Now, what do what we say early on in our study of the book of Revelation, the day of the Lord is? It is not a single day. It is a time period of judgment. The day of the Lord is the seven-year period of tribulation. It is the tribulation that comes upon Israel. Who has is warned more than anyone else about those seven years? Who has warned more than anyone else? The nation of Israel. Are you failing the test here? You've got to pick up. The nation of Israel. Zechariah is a prophet of Israel. And he says, Behold, the day is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Does God hate his people? No. But he's trying to wake them up. He's trying to show them. I've got to judge you. I wanted to bless you. But you rejected me. You rebelled against me. You disobeyed me. But I love you. And I'm, I'm, as a nation I, I'm going to... Bring you through this, but I'm going to have to bring this chastisement. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. The, it's not a pretty picture, is it? Half of the city shall be, go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The rod. Which is in, which in the book of Revelation is an in, instrument of chastisement. Let me, let me show you a few uh, places. Revelation 2:27. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. Uh, there's also Revelation 12 verse 5. She bore a male child. Speaking of Israel, and this is, this is typology here as it were. But uh, she being Israel bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who is the child? Jesus. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Jesus came through Israel, didn't he? So that's talking about Jesus. And then there's uh, Revelation 19, verse uh, 15, which we'll study, of course, later. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So the rod, then, of chastisement will be laid upon Israel. At the hand of the Gentiles... For a limited time only. I don't want to sound like a commercial. But for a limited time only, they're going to have to go through this chastisement. 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days. And this was prophesied by Daniel the prophet, Daniel 7:25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, speaking of the beast or the Antichrist. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. I don't like it when people come and try to change laws, especially their good laws. And even times, so to change the times, to change the culture, to change the, the society. Be careful about change. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a times. The saints, as Daniel speaks of him, is talking about Israel. Given into the hand of the Antichrist for a time, a times and half a time. Do you know what that means? A time is a year. Times is two years, that's three years now. And a half a time is a half a year, so that's three and a half years. So Daniel has prophesied the, the exact same amount of time. A time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years. Why didn't he just say three and a half years? Because you see, the Jewish people, the, the, uh, the Jewish mindset, sees everything in Pictures. And so that's, that's why it's so descriptive in this manner. In the English, it's like, just say three and a half years. But we don't have time to go over that. But anyway, okay. Y'all, y'all, you're okay with it? Okay, don't be mad at Daniel because he did that. Because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's why we wrote it that way. Okay, so then in Daniel 12:7, 7, uh, it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand in heaven. You remember we met him already? He's the, the angel? And then it says, when when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. After the seven years, which in fact is after the second half of the uh, the seven years, which is the last three and a half years, then things will be finished or completed. So the duration of Israel's trouble is completed then in literal months. The equivalent of 1,260 days. The exact time that the beast is permitted to thunder forth his blasphemies. Consider again Revelation uh, 13, I'm sorry, but verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Is everything tying together? Old Testament to New Testament. Book of Daniel to the book of Revelation. Are we seeing the consistency of the prophecies? Yes. Ah, good, okay. No, you're here. I know you're here because I see you. I see you. So this is the period. This is the period of the exile of that woman clothed in the, with the sun, which is the beginning of Revelation chapter uh, 12. But uh, here it says in verse 6 of Revelation 12, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed uh, feed her there 1,260 days. That means many in Israel are going to leave Israel during this time. In fact, we know that they're going to go to Jordan. They're going to go into this place called Petra. They're going to be protected and cared for there by by the Lord Himself. So these three and a half years are the last half of Daniel's 70th week, which is the seven-year Period of time that we saw back in Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 through 27. Which we, we need to study again later. But we'll deal with that again at another time. And then j- jump down to verse 14. It says, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. That she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Where she is nourished for, notice, a time and times and half a time. We thought it was just Daniel. But remember that we said that the book of Revelation now takes a very Jewish turn in the sense of understanding. A time and times and half a time. So, one year, two more years, and a half a year. Three and a half years. And uh, and she's, she's going to be uh, taken there from the presence of the serpent, so we know who the enemy is, okay? So the great tribulation will come to a close with the personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth when he shall subdue all evil and establish his reign. So I I should have told you to keep your finger in Zechariah chapter uh, 14, but but let me take you there one more time so we can finish this thought, which is verses 3 and 4. It says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. God is going to fight against those nations. Who do you think is going to win? As he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Remember where that was? That which overlooks the eastern gate. Which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west. Making a very large valley. And when we go to the Mount of Olives and we look up on that wall, we, say, we, we have a beautiful vantage point to see it. And, and, and you see that valley that, that, that just, you can just picture the valley being opened by the Lord. There's a uh, Muslim cemetery right in front of the Eastern Gate. Now, some people say this isn't true, but it's something to think about. The thought is, when Jesus goes through that gate, when he's promised to go through that gate, when it's prophesied that he will go through that eastern gate, which is, by the way, enclosed, the Turks actually uh, bricked it up so that, because they they know what the prophecy is. You know, it's interesting, you know, the the Muslims know the prophecies that the, the, the Jews know. But they don't believe him and they just, they you know, mockingly uh, sealed up that gate. Because the Jewish Messiah is not going to enter into the area that belongs to Allah. Well, they got a lot to learn. Because that gate is going to be open. And when that valley splits open... What was considered to be, you know, the, 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 uh, the cemetery, which is a, a, an area of uncleanness to the Jews who would be going in with Jesus, uh, the Kohenites, which are the, the priests, and, and all who will come with Jesus, uh, will not walk through that, that uh, cemetery because it's unclean to the Jews. Jesus is just going to move them out of the way. And then everybody who comes with the Lord will go into the city of Jerusalem. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. What mountain? Well, the mountain he makes when he pushes all that dirt in both ways. Now you got a mountain. Isn't that what happens when you push dirt aside? and Little mounds there. So, you see that Jesus predicted all of this before going to the cross. They will fall by the edge of the sword. He says of his own people. In Luke twenty-one twenty-four, they will fall by the edge of the sword and, lead, uh, and be led a, uh, away captive into all nations. What happened after eighty seventy? Where did the Jews go? Everywhere. Dispersed. That's called the diaspora. Dispersed. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. For almost two thousand years, for fi- almost fifteen hundred years, land was trampled over. Almost nineteen hundred years—I'll get my math right here pretty soon. Trampled over. Trampled over. The land was desolate, mostly desert, mostly dirt. There were groups of Arabs, of course, and then came the time of the Crusades and all, but little pockets of Jews may have stayed, but not very many. And then there was placed into the heart of Jewish people this desire. The desire to go back into the land. It had already been renamed by the Romans. The Roman Emperor Hadrian called it Palestina. Gave it a name that the Jews would hate. Because Palestina was based upon the name of the Philistines. One of their hated enemies. But the Jews had a desire to go back to the land. To have a place of their own. God put it in them. And little by little... They started coming back to the land. It became a nation in 1948, proved by one boat in the, in the United Nations. And then the next day they were fighting for their existence. But since that time, Israel has turned into a fruitful place because the Bible predicted it. The Bible predicted that there would be fruit all throughout the land and you go to Israel. I keep telling you, go I don't know what I what I have to do to get you there. I know some of you say, Yeah, well pay for me and I'll go. (laughs) I wish I could. I'd take you all if I could. I guess it becomes a aspect of faith, doesn't it? But you should see it. Those of you that have seen it, what did you see? You saw God at work, didn't you? The people may not all fully understand or believe or or even care about a God, but one day they will see Him. Because the Bible says, they will see Him whom they pierced, and they will be weeping. For they know, they will know, who their Messiah really is. The time of the Gentiles will end at the second coming of Jesus Christ, with His saints. And what does... He say to us today, in the same chapter he says at the end, and we'll close with this now. Watch therefore. Speaking to us, by the way. Speaking to all believers. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. To escape all these things. What we're talking about in the book of Revelation. What we see in Revelation, in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 21 and, and Mark chapter 13 all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of man. Because there is is a blessing coming to those who believe in Jesus today. I don't want you to be ignorant, my brethren. But the coming of the Lord will be as a thief in the night. The Lord is going to catch up The dead in Christ who will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I said this last week and I I just tell you to read it again in, in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go... I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know. Worthy. To escape all those things. It's coming. I don't think we can make it any more clear. Well, we probably could make it clearer. But it's time to get serious about what's happening in the world today. Look at the tensions that are building up in Syria today. All that's a part of this, because Syria is still in the scriptures mentioned, and they're going to be a nation that is, which has been and and, and will continue to be a nation that goes against Israel. Syria was one of the main ones that tried to destroy Israel in 1948, they tried to destroy Israel in 1967, they tried to destroy Israel in 1956, in 1973, They're angry because Israel had taken over the Golan Heights, which belonged to uh, uh, Syria for so long. But look at how they treat their own people. Would Israel ever treat their own people with with chemical weapons? Do, Do you see the demonic activity that's going on around them? And why it is important for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as we're told in the Scriptures? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we we could probably cover this a little bit more of this again next time, but we we do have to move on. But.